in the mindset of Mother's Day, I want to talk about mothering a movement, if you will, mothering heaven's desire, uh, nurturing what heaven thinks about us, thinks about our community. And those type of things. And this word hit me this week. I was thinking about this process, and this word incubate came to my mind. And I remember when I was, I don't know, like fourth or fifth grade, we, we had an incubator in our class. And did anybody else ever have that in your class? And they bring the eggs in, and they have the heat lamps and everything. And, man, as you're a kid, you're watching this every day. And I remember ours, we were really bummed because the chicks were burnt, born on the weekend. And we were really bummed because we, didn't, we were hoping we'd get to see them be born in class. But I always remember that process. I remember that in order for these for these chicks to be born there had to be something that would incubate them to get them to the place where they needed to be to experience life. We think about babies that are born before they're, before they're supposed to be born, right? And what do we do? We put them in an incubator. Why? Because there's got to be this process that takes place before they're ready to live life. And I think many times what God is doing and what God is saying, He is putting inside of us, and we're not seeing it yet, but what we've got to do is we have to be the incubators. We have to be the ones that will allow God to use us as part part of the process to bring forth his dream on a generation, on a people group. And um, I want to share a story tonight, talking about Mother's Day, I want to share a story about a woman named Hannah. And it's in 1 Samuel. I'm actually going to sh- sh- tell the story tonight. We can put the scriptures up there. But I, I really felt, I was reading through it today, and I was like, man, there's just so much uh, words there. And I, I'd just rather just share the story. Are you, good? Are you okay with that? So, it's, you know, if you want to read along in your Bible and make sure I'm telling it properly, then, then that's all good. But it's in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, first of all, the, the, the book Samuel is written about the guy that named after the guy that this story is fixing to talk about. And her name, his mother's name was Hannah. And Hannah's husband's name was Elkanah. Okay? Elkanah. And he had two wives, actually. I told Judah that earlier. I was reading this story to him. And he's like, they had two wives? And I was like, yeah, isn't that weird? And he's like, yeah. But one was Hannah, and the other name was Pinana. Now, Pinana had children, right? Are you with me? She had children, but Hannah didn't. So she's like the other wife that's got the children, and she doesn't have anything, right? Penina. And so it says this in verse 7. It says, year after year. See, what would happen every year, the Jewish people, they would go and they would bring their sacrifices and they would worship at the temple. Well, every year, their family would go. They would show up. So you had uh, Penina. And you had Hannah and their husband, and they would go. And it says, actually, Scripture says that Penina would taunt Hannah, and she would make fun of her. She'd be like, oh, yeah, you're the wife, but you don't have any kids. I got children, but you don't have kids. And she would make fun of her. And it says in verse 7 that year after year, it was the same. Can you imagine the ridicule that this woman who probably all of her life dreamed of being a mother but couldn't have children? She was barren. And so one day they go, year after year they go, and then one time they show up to the temple. She, was, she wasn't eating. She was depressed. She was discouraged, all this stuff. And she shows up at the temple, and she starts praying, and she starts crying out to God. And, the, and Scripture actually says that she wept bitterly. So that's, I mean, I've wept before, but, and I've wept bitterly a couple of times. But it says that she was weeping bitterly before the Lord, and then, and then there were, 
in, in this story, the, the priest that was there, his name was Eli. Now, Eli was a priest at the time, and he saw her crying out to God, but he didn't think she was crying out to God. He saw her mouth moving, and she saw her crying. You know, he was like, what's wrong with this woman? Is she drunk? And he said, woman, take your booze and get out of here. And she's like, no, sir. She said, I'm not boozing. She said, I'm just, I'm really discouraged because I, I want my womb to be open, and I want, I want God to bless me with children. So I'm crying out to God. And he said, you know what? How about that happens in your life? So he prophesied this. He spoke it into her life. And then it says in verse um, verse 18, let's go to verse 18. It says, oh, thank you, sir. She exclaimed that she went back and began to eat again. I love that. And she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. And then they returned home to Ramah. And when Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. I love that. The Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son and named him Samuel. Now, this is what you got to understand is when she was asking for a child, she, she didn't say, oh, God, just give me a child. She said, God, give me a child and I'll give him back to you. And so Hannah took this child named Samuel and took him to the temple and gave him back to the Lord. She gave him to Eli and Samuel was actually not born of the priesthood, Oh, come on. Not born of the priesthood, but was raised in the house of God. Are you with me? And it was all because of a dream, a desire that a woman had. Now, you got to understand something about Samuel. Samuel was the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. Before this, all of Israel was, was ruled by what were called judges. And they were these people. They were violent men. Samson was a judge. Uh, Gideon, these were all judges. They were, they were violent men, but they were normally good men. But they ruled with violence. And they, they ruled with the Lord. But, but really, up until this point, the king of Israel was God. God wanted to be Israel's king. They were his people. And he said, you're my people. I'll be your king. I'll set a point. I'll set leadership in place. But really, I want to be a king. And so Samuel was a judge. Okay, are you with me? And his children were judges. Now, he was a judge. He was also a prophet, but he is also a priest. I mean, he's like all everything kind of up together. And, and you can study all that out later on your own on what all those meanings are. And so what happens is Samuel is the one that the people come to and they go, you know what, Samuel, you're the judge. You're kind of the head judge. We don't want judges anymore. We want to be like other nations. We want to have a king. And so Samuel went before the Lord and he said, Lord, he said, the people, they want a king. They want to be like other nations. He's like, they don't want you to be their king no more. That's actually what he said to God. He said, they don't, they don't want you to be their king anymore. And God said, that's all right. Then give them a king. And then he went and he anointed Saul. And later he anointed David. So here's a man that was pivotal, not just in the history of the Bible, in the history of the, the state of Israel, but in the history of the world, a man was born, a man that was born out of a womb that was barren, a womb that couldn't produce, yet God put a seed because a woman had a desire and put it in her and a movement broke forth because of the cries of a woman. As we're talking about Mother's Day, I, I, I want to kind of tweak your thinking a little bit. I want you to encourage you to think about things a little bit differently. Because in God's process, and the process of God's plan, and the reality of what God is doing, there is a woman in this process. There's a woman in the plan of God. And it's not Mother Mary. Okay? Now, she was part of God's plan, but not anymore. There is a plan 
now through a woman. One who has the incubator of life inside of her. A woman that has the capacity to carry. A man with a womb. A woman. Right? And that woman is the church. The bride of Christ. See, God executes desire through his woman. God executes the plan of God through his woman, his wife, the bride of Christ. So God works. Think about it. How did you get saved? How did that seed produce? Because someone that was part of the bride of Christ birthed you. Are you with me? Now, we know God did it, but what was the means at which he did it through? God puts the seed. Come on, are you with me? But someone has got to incubate the seed. And we talk about the church. We're not talking about this church. We're talking about the church universal. We are, I believe we are talking about the local church. We're talking about other movements uh, that would be not considered a local church. But we are talking about the body of Christ. We are talking about a, a corporation of people, if you will, an empire of people, those that cultivate life inside of them. And listen, as much crud as we've heard about the church and the American church, and as much of that crud is even true, God has no plan B. God has one plan for the earth, and it's the church. God only has one womb. He's not going to raise up something other than the church. He's going to use this womb. This womb may be barren, but I'm telling you, God will wake it up. And so God has a plan, and God has a desire for overflow church. God put, put a desire in us, and that thing is coming forth, and we're just part of a bigger plan, a bigger scheme. But we're saying, yes, Jesus, we will come impregnate us with your desire. Would you come? Would you fill us with what you want to happen in this community, and we'll give birth to it? We will. We will give birth to it. And, man, I, that's how I, sometimes I feel like Hannah. I'm like, God, give us a child. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that even though that's happening, let me tell you the good news about Hannah. Hannah went on to have five more children. Isn't that interesting that God actually healed her womb? All because she was crying out. God heard her. It's, I love that. It says, and God answered her cries. And I'm telling you, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen unless first a dream. Nothing will happen unless first a desire. Nothing will happen unless there's something inside of us. Nothing will happen. We just got through with this series talking about the, the overflow of the heart, the overflow, all of this, this whole concept of having a full heart, that everything comes out of that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Christ loved the church. Now, this scripture is talking about marriage, but he very much emphasizes his passion for his bride. He says, Christ loved the church so much he gave his life for her to make her holy and clean. The church might not be super clean right now. It might not be that holy. People might have criticisms. But guess what? Christ died to make us clean. Washed us by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I'm telling you right now, we are living in an hour and an age where the church has many faults. But there is coming an hour where we will have no wrinkle. Are you with me? And Jesus will come for that bride. So that's what we're doing. Right? 
We're in wedding rehearsal. Come on. We are in the process of making ourselves ready. I love that. That's what it says uh, in, in Scripture. It says that she has made herself ready. And we are a bride that is saying, God, we will make ourselves ready. We will, we will clean up what we need to clean up. We'll initiate what we need to initiate. We'll get before your face. God, we will, we will cry out for the city. We will do whatever it takes to be pure and, and spotless before you. A bride that has made herself ready. Now, you guys, you guys know how it is when a bride makes herself ready. Come on. You know how it is when you ask that girl to, to marry you, and she's like, oh, yeah. And then the, so the planning begins. And most of us guys, we're just like, uh, uh, yeah. You know, let me just tell you this. Those, those of you that are, that are married or you're going to get married, two most successful words in marriage, yes, ma'am, right? So that, that, starts, that starts way, 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 way back. As soon as you put a ring on it, yes, ma'am. Yes, dear. Okay. You know, whatever it is, th- those are the most successful words in marriage. Yes, ma'am. So anyway, that's free tonight. But so what happens, what happens is women, they've been thinking about this day their whole life. But us men, we don't think about it. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're getting married. Uh, I, I want to say it's like, I want to say it's like a second week in July. I think it's on a Saturday. Yeah. And the woman, she, like, knows what color her bridesmaids are going to. I mean, she has, like, all the details, and he's just kind of going along, right? He's like, oh, i got to go do wedding planning. And she's like, oh, we get to go wedding planning. Now, that is the kind of enthusiasm that the bride of Christ needs to have. Oh, we're getting ready for the wedding. We're getting ready. Why are you so excited? Because I'm getting met. The wedding day is coming. I already belong to him, but I'm getting everything in place. I'm getting my home in order. I'm getting my life in order. I'm getting everything straightened out because Jesus is coming. So I'm getting worked up. So there's this process when we are the bride of Christ and we are impregnated. Now listen, you're like, okay, now has the wedding happened? Are we already the bride or are we going to be the bride? Yes. Right? Because in this thing called life, there's many births, if you will. There's many giving of the seed. You know, we, we think of, we, we get so locked in because we think that that's just a physical thing that happens when a child is born. But think about, you know, some that just graduated or that are going to graduate. That's, that's the birthing process of something they've been cultivating for years, right? So everything starts as a seed and gives birth to something eventually, so this can really go pretty broad for you tonight. But if we're going to mother a movement, a nurture a movement, if we're going to incubate what God is talking about, we're going to give birth to, the, to, the, to heaven's desire, to heaven's reality, then, then there's some stuff we need to talk about tonight. Now check this out. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, we know this, uh, you know, John chapter 3 is where he's talking to Nicodemus and, you know, if anyone can be born again, this kind of thing. Listen to the language here. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I could just see Jesus shaking his head when he's saying that. It's like, you're missing it, man. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom Without being born of water, that means the natural birth, and of spirit, the spiritual birth. Humans cannot reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Jesus says spirit gives birth to spirit. 
So if we're going to give birth to spiritual things, then there's got to be something spiritual going on inside of us. So isn't there something always going on spiritually inside of us? Yes. There is. I want to talk about the process tonight. First of all, this process of of nurturing a movement. First of all, there's fertilization. Come on, you guys went to health class, right? Right, there's fertilization. How does this happen? Well, it happens through an encounter, right? It happens through intimacy. Notice it didn't just say that Hannah was there. Now, with Mary, that was the case. But with Hannah, that wasn't the case. It says her husband slept with her, and God heard her cries. And God answered the thing that she had been praying for, right? So there's got to be this moment. There has got to be this in, in, in intimacy that happens. We, we talked uh, several weeks ago about defining moments in our life. There have to be these moments that come, that impact us, that mark us in such a way if we're ever going to have anything else. There's got to be the fertilization. There's got to be moments. And listen, there won't just be one fertilization in your life. There'll be many in your walk with the Lord. But there will be those big ones, Right? You know what I'm saying? There will be those things that are like, oh, this is the dream of God. This is the plan of God. Boom. Changes you. The desire or the dream of God will not come out of any other context. It will always come through the context of intimacy. It will always, anytime that you're fertilized with the the dream, with the ambition, with the plan of God, it will always happen through intimacy. It will always happen through an encounter. Even Paul, as wicked as he was, it took an encounter with Jesus to get this thing moving. So it can't, you don't just kind of, you know, we used to say, we used to use this terminology, you know, people would come into the church and just kind of add Jesus on, right? There was no, like, there was no, like, encounter. There was no moment. There was just kind of, uh, gradually, it just kind of worked in. And although that might be the process of working holiness or something else in our life, listen, there has got to be these moments, there's got to be those, these moments, just like Hannah had, where she was in the temple and she was weeping bitterly. God, I want a dream. God, I want a desire. God, I want to. I want to see. I'm tired of the world making fun of me. God, I'm tired of being the second wife. I'm trying. You know, her husband had answers. He's like, "Well, aren't I as good as all as ten children?" And that funny husbands always have the answer. And she she had the answer. Oh, as good as. And she's like, "I, yes, you are good, but I want a child." And I'm telling you, it will always happen. If God is going to do something through you, there has got to be these moments to say, "Bam." fertilization, an encounter, intimacy. It will not happen through any other context. So if you're like, man, Josh, it's just not happening. Well, what are you doing to, what are, what are you doing to set up the appointment for God to fertilize you? Because he shows up. That's one thing, one thing I've learned about God. He shows up. You just say, God, would you show up? And he's like, yes. I mean, he just does. He shows up always. It might be a different manifestation every time, but he shows up. So what kind of meetings are you arranging for him to come and impregnate you? What kind of meetings are you allowing for fertilization to happen? The thing I love about the seed of God, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Talking about this thing called fertilization. It is so interesting. We were talking about this one night at the house. And just how God will work like you and I were all like influenced greatly by the ministry of the disciples. Did you know that? 
Like if they would not have fulfilled their place in history, if they would not have preached to the multitude, if they would have not done the things that God, that fulfilled the desires that God put inside of them, then thousands of years later, you wouldn't be where you're at. You wouldn't even be saved. Christianity would have died with that first generation of Christians. But because they chose to pick up the torch and the next generation said, oh, I'll answer the seed. Next generation, oh, I'll answer the dream of God. Next generation, oh, yes, God, I'll fulfill your plan. I'll fulfill your ambitions. I'll fulfill your dreams on the earth. Every generation has said yes. That's the reason why you're able to say yes. Just like physically, you might not, you might have not have ever met Adam and Eve, but come on, you are in the line somewhere. And it's millions of people down, but you are here. And if they weren't there, you wouldn't be here now. And that's how the seed of God is. Listen, the thing that God is speaking to you right now, the thing that God is putting in your heart, it is not small. Although it may only affect two people. There's people that I know that are walking around today. One of the great things about being able to work at Christ for the Nations now and and encounter some of the students I do, I get to hear the stories of, of people whose lives are getting wrecked by somebody that I had the opportunity of ministering to or leading to Jesus. So I'm seeing this exponential seed in front of me. It's the most awesome thing in the world. I don't even know people. And they're like deeply influenced by the dream that God put in my heart, by the seed that God put in there. And so here I am meeting people, meeting, uh, you know, Josh and Caitlin. I'm like, Hey, what's up? And they're like, you, you're, you know, you ministered to this guy named Adam and, and we, and I'm like, I haven't even met you. And because I said yes to the seed of God, this thing happened. And what's crazy is there's un- people that we will never know that we're reaching, that we're connecting with, because we just say yes to the seed of God. This is how powerful God's seed is, so we must incubate it. It's never small. It's never small. It may start off small, but it's never small in God's eyes. Listen, we are a church who is pregnant with hope. We are a church that is pregnant with a dream. We are a church that is pregnant with this prayer that Jesus prayed that says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are a church that is, that is very much interested and will not live without seeing people come out of wheelchairs that have never walked in their life or people that have never seen their eyes are open or people that are broken and their, their, their hearts are trashed and they've had children that have died and they can't get over it. We, we, we are saying, yes, God, yes, we will be the ones to go and minister to them. We will be the ones to go and show people love where everybody else has showed them, hey, yes, God, we say yes. It's just a dream. It doesn't say anything about us. It says something about the one who sowed the seed there. So we have all this desire to see all these things happen, to see marriages that are destroyed and broken to be healed. Not only to see sin broken off a generation, but the results of sin broken off. And it's not because we're anybody. We're just incubators. We said yes to the seed. A fertilization happened. So there's got to be fertilization number two. There's got to be maturation. I'm saying it wrong. Uh, Maturity, maturation, right? And I'm talking about, I'm not necessarily talking about the seed right now. But as bearers, there's got to be some maturity. Maturity. I'm not talking about your personality. I'm talking about your responsibility. How responsible are you for the seed that God has put in you? 
Hannah praying before God, and she says, God, if you just let me have the pleasure of carrying a baby for nine months and loving that baby inside my womb, God, I'll take that baby as soon as it's born. And the next time I go to the temple, I'll give him right back to you. But I just want to experience the process. This devotion, this maturity has got to take place. Let me tell you tonight that the dream that God will put inside of you will cost you more personally than you'll ever realize. But I'm telling you tonight, it will also be more fulfilling than you will ever realize. It will cost you more, but it will be exponentially greater than you've ever imagined in your brain. No matter how creative you are, it'll be bigger than that. And one of the things that I'm seeing a lot, this has always been the case, this is me when I came to Jesus, I thought, you know, and about my plan is, you know, for about seven years to be a youth pastor, and then, you know, I'm going to travel nations and preach to crusades, and thousands of people will get saved. I was like, that was the plan of Josh, you know what I'm saying? Are you with me? Like, there was some of God in there, and there was some of Josh Brown in there, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, I'm so what happens is when I start living off my, seat, my flesh and not, not living off what was birthed by spirit, what happens is disappointment starts setting in. Well, here I am. Look at him. And look what they're doing. And I've been doing the ministry longer than they are. And they're going to do what I dream to do. And it's like God's just like, this is my dream for you. I never dreamed that up for you. You dreamed that up for yourself. And so what happens is we, we get very personal in this thing called kingdom. And we're like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's going to be glamorous and I'm going to feel great and I'm going to be fulfilled. And God's like, I got a kingdom here and the picture is a lot bigger than you. Yeah, you have to say yes. Yes, you play a role, but you are a very small piece in a very large puzzle. And so I'm here to tell you tonight that when God puts something in you, it's a lot bigger than you ever imagined. So when you have to give up some things and you have to sacrifice some things and you have to deal through some heartache, recognize that some of those things that you were wanting to do might not be birthed of spirit. They might be birthed of flesh. Now, I'm not hating on anybody tonight. It's all good. But my dream is to be about the king's business. God, what are you saying? You know why Jesus was so successful? Because he only said what he heard the Father saying. He only did what he saw the Father doing. It wasn't because he had 5,000 people getting saved and had churches sizes of cities. What will make you successful in this life, and we'll be talking about this when we get into the Abba series, the thing that will make you successful in life is it doesn't matter how many numbers are behind whatever you think it is and whatever society tells you successful, your success will be based in one thing when you say yes I'll do what you say go where you go be who you want me to be we got to grow up got to grow up come on maturing means dying to self it's called being selfless right you know what I'm saying? I, I remember my mom. You know, I, I, my dad is an incredible man, but the first, you know, <clears throat> 16 years of my life, I didn't really have much of a relationship with him. We saw him on weekends, that kind of thing. But I remember my mom as a little boy. I remember go, her going to work every day at 7-Eleven 
working till like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. Left two little boys home by themselves. Willing to make those sacrifices, never complaining about it. I remember one night my mom pulled in to our house and I heard her pull into the garage. I heard something. She didn't come in. And I, I remember as a little kid walking and looking outside of our, of our screen door and looking at our carport. My mom's in the car and she's just crying. And she's weeping. I'm telling you, you don't get that naturally. If we want to mother a movement, we got to grow up. We got to stop being so selfless and so right field. And this and that isn't right. And this isn't right. And so full of ourself, we will never mother a movement. But when we say, God, I'll get out of the way. This is what mothers do. This is the reason why we celebrate them so much is because they're the only ones on the planet that are willing to do this. And let me say this, mothers are mothers way before a baby is born. As soon as the seed is there, everything changes. The diet changes, right? What goes into their body changes. Listen, it's about time we start acting like a woman that has the seed of God inside of her. It's time we start living differently, that we start functioning differently because we want to give birth to something. John 3.30, he must become greater. John the Baptist, Jesus said, the greatest man that ever lived. And you know what John said? He must become greater. He must become greater, and I must become less and less. He must increase, and I must decrease maturity. The seed of God. Why was he the forerunner? Why do we look at John the Baptist, and why do we agree with Jesus and go, yes, he was the greatest man that ever lived? Because he was a man that said no to a bunch of things. Because he said yes to one big thing. Now listen, I don't want to be the guy that's always focusing on the nose, but we do need to grow up. We, got a, we have a nation that's in a hell basket. And Christians are sitting around going, well, these are my rights, my rights, my rights. Whining about listen, I'm not saying that there's not legit things that we need to stand up for. But if that's all we're talking about, there's a problem. We're not here to get, we're here to give. Come on. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Grow up. Do something to change it. Bring forth revival. Do what God's called you to do. Stop being like the world. Minister to the world. You can't be like the world and minister to the world. Minister to the world. Love the world. Start acting like mama. Come on. I'm telling you, if you want a baby, if you want that dream to come forth, you better live it now. You better prepare now. Because baby's coming. The seed changes us, man. Third of all, I hope this isn't like too abstract. Number three is cultivation. When you get, when God comes, when he speaks to you, and you grow up a little bit, you got to start cultivating that thing that God's put in your heart. What are you doing now for the dream of God? Oh, you know, in a few years, you know, I, I remember when I went to Bible college. I'm not talking to any of you guys that are here tonight that are in Bible college. When I get out of Bible college, I'm going to do this and that and that. What are you doing now with what God's put in your heart? As soon as I enrolled in Bible college, you know what I did? I started interning at a church immediately under their youth ministry because that's what I was going to do. I was going to feed it now. 
I was, by the, by, after I was in school for one year, I was a youth pastoring at a church. Not because I'm so awesome, but because I was like, dude, I've got to work this thing now. I'm going to do whatever I can now. What are you doing now? What are you doing to cultivate the dream of God? Or are you just waiting on it? I'm telling you, old wombs aren't healthy wombs. Don't just be saying, oh, one of these. Nah. You cultivate that. That baby ain't supposed to sit in there forever. Come on. It's supposed to come out. What are you doing to feed it? What are you doing to nourish it? Because if you don't, this thing will be born. This dream will come forth. But it won't be the way God intended it. It will be malnourished. And I'm not saying that God can't redeem it. Listen, I, I don't want you to get that tonight, that it's all over. But I'm telling you, it is not all over. God is a God of the redeemed. Come on. And God will redeem those things. But listen, we have got to people be a people that are working it. How are you nourishing your dream now? Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? If I had a handful of mustard seed and threw them like this, you wouldn't even see them until you feel them hit you in the face. They're tiny, little bitty seeds. He says this, this guy takes a seed and he plants it in the ground. Though it's the smallest of seed, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. And becomes a tree so that birds come and perch on its branches. This little seed. This little thing, what happened? It says, when it begins to grow, yet when it grows, there's got to be some cultivation. When it grows, it will be like this. Grow it. This is what the kingdom's like. And in the next verse, love this. We talked, I discovered this, this verse a, a couple months ago. It's wrecking me. I never saw it before. I don't know how. He told them another parable. I guess because I was so rocked in the world before that. Oh, Joseph. I'm so good, God. Right? Next chapter. Right? But I love this. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast a woman took and mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And we talked about this uh, several weeks ago, that what God is doing with the yeast, the seed of the yeast, the, the living organism that is in the yeast, he is coming in and he is working it in to our lives. And we are working it into our lives. It's like a woman, are you with me, who works it in. Work it. Work in the dream of God. Some of you guys, man, God's speaking to you early stages. It doesn't mean you might... You might think it's the most silly, ridiculous thing. I don't know what. It might be saving monkeys. I don't know what it is, right? I don't know what. It might be saving vegetation. I don't know. I think it's probably a lot bigger than that, hopefully. You know, we just save the June Bugs Foundation, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm just being serious. Uh, so, you take this seed, this little thing, and you work it. Man, you get you a journal. You get you, you get a, a, a new app for your phone that you can take notes. You devote yourself to everyday thinking about that seed, thinking about that moment when God fertilized you, thinking about, man, that thing that God has put on my heart. You're writing things on it. You're talking. That's all you ever talk about. You get around people and you're annoying because all you ever talk about is what God is not just doing then, but what you're doing right now to plan for then. This is what we're talking about, working it. 
Working the dream. I know this could have been a whole series. Okay. I love Mark 4. Probably my favorite parable of Jesus. He says, you know, a farmer goes out to sow some seed and some fell on the path and birds came up and ate it and some fell on rocky soil and then it grew up and the sun killed it and some fell on the path and it, and it got down there and it kind of started growing up a little bit and the thorn bushes choked it and other seed fell on good ground. And the disciples like, oh, Lord, we, 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 you're telling all these crazy stories. He's like, ever hearing and not perceiving, not understanding. You guys don't get it. Listen, listen, the seed is the word. Right? And then he starts talking about it. He's like, man, the guy that goes and he plants a seed and he walks and something falls on the path. And it steals. he's like, that's, that's the seed of God that the enemy comes and steals. It's the word of God, which could be interpreted the dream of God, the calling of God on your life. What is God saying? The logos, right? The word. Oh, some kind of fell on rocky soil. Got down in there and with joy it grew up and the sun came. As soon as the trials came, the dream was over. Others, they didn't have the maturity, did they? Because they grew up and didn't develop a root system. And sure enough, here come the cares of the world and the pleasures of an age. And they choked the dream of God. He said, but let me tell you about another kind of seed. He said, this seed comes and produces. See, I can come and bring you a seed tonight and be like, what do you see? And you'd be like, an apple. Right? Big eyes on an apple. You know, see an orchard. Because Jesus says that some seed fall on the ground, produce a crop 30, 60, even 100 fold. What the heck? How does that work? Because seeds don't just produce one seed when they fall to the ground and die. It produces many seeds, just like Jesus said another time. That when a seed falls to the ground and dies, it doesn't just produce an apple. It produces a tree, which produces trees, which produces trees, which produces trees. The seed of God is exponential. This is why it's so important that we respond to it. You want to come up, Nate? Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your seed. I thank you, God, for your dream. I know that there's been some dream that's been in some hearts in this room tonight that's been choked. Some's been stolen. Some's been dried up. and Some just died right there. But God, I believe tonight that you are fertilizing once again those dreams. Hey, let me just encourage you tonight. Don't be surprised if God gives you just a whole new dream. He's the dreamer of dreamers, man. I want to declare this scripture over you. We're going to pray this over us tonight. Listen, I'm not talking about, and I don't mean to sound insensitive when I say this, I'm not talking about the dreams you had of being a you know, an astronaut when you were five years old. That could have been a God. Probably wasn't because that's not what you're doing. And there is, God wants to minister to brokenness at every level. But 
I'm talking about really what God has put in your heart to do. And it might even be something that you aren't even that enthusiastic about. But some of you tonight, you've lost the ability to dream. You feel like that you've lost. I feel like this sometimes. I'm like, God, why can't I just have vision like I used to? What happened? And I've just been disappointed too many times. What is it, God? And I love this scripture. I'm going to declare this over you. Those that have a barren womb, you don't feel like anything can happen. You feel like that there's this process, this encounter that happens, but you are not able to incubate the plan, the word of God. I declare this over you. Isaiah 54 verse 1. Sing, O childless woman. You who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem. You who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. Look, the wicked, look at them, they're doing good. But you, nothing, says the Lord. Enlarge your house. Listen, get ready. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home and spare no expense. You will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle in ruined cities. They'll come in. They'll take over. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. For you will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood. For the Creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is His name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth.